Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to have our brother Don Pell with us this morning for the Bible Instruction Time, so we're going to turn the remainder of our meetings over to him. Brother Don, please. Good morning. I hope you kept your place in Ephesians chapter 1, because I'm going to read the finished part of that chapter, beginning at verse number 15. Ephesians chapter number 1, and we'll pick it up at verse number 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places." Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want you to notice that there are two different inheritances being mentioned here. The first of which is found in verse 11. Let's look at that again. Verse 11, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. So that is our inheritance in Christ. Go down to verse 18 is a different inheritance. Notice that one. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Inheritance is often um, recognized or clarified as something that's an intrigue. You know, the lost inheritance or the stolen inheritance or somebody does something nasty to obtain an inheritance that wasn't rightfully theirs. Intrigue, the practice of engaging in schemes or machinations to arouse the interest, desire, or curiosity of some. The intrigue. Many a movie and novel has been written about people's inheritance. The believer's inheritance. It's part of a mystery, and that mystery has been hidden in and from ages, from generations, but now, according to what Paul told the Colossian believers, that mystery has now been revealed to the saints. But this particular inheritance does not involve any devious schemes or plots. It does, however arouse our interest and our curiosity. What will heaven really be like? Ever ponder that one? What will heaven really be like? Not going to float in clouds, are we? 
Maybe playing harps. What will it really be like? That's our inheritance. We're going to go there. What will we do? What will we do with our inheritance? You know, are we going to spend it? <laughs> well, it's curiosity. It's intrigue. It's inheritance. Well, two types of inheritance we pointed out previously. First of all, our inheritance in Christ. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. The earnest of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit of God. If children, heirs, heirs of God, join heirs of Jesus Christ, Paul writes to the Romans. Peter puts it this way. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, it doesn't fade away, and you've got a reservation. It's reserved in heaven for you. But now we come to a different kind of inheritance. It's his inheritance in us. Think about that. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. To the Colossians, Paul writes, and you are Christ and Christ is God. So considering our inheritance in Christ, we might likely want to sing, all that will be glory for me. We are occupied with our blessing, our inheritance. All that will be glory for me. Christ inherited us, we might be inclined to sing, all that will be glory for thee. All that will be glory for thee. That occupies us with our blesser. So first of all, we're occupied with our blessing. Then we're occupied with our blesser. The coming day, he's going to present this church, of which we belong if we placed our faith in Christ, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. He's going to put us on display because he has a vested interest in us. He has an inheritance in us. Each believer, inheritance normally associated with something of value. You know, some people inherit things that are almost a liability more than an asset. Lynn is laughing. She inherited a house. She's already spent money on that house and anticipates spending more money on that house. Thanks, Mom, for that house that I inherited. And what about us? What do we look like when he first saw us? Man by nature is not very desirable. Not from God's perspective. The body described by Paul is corruptible. It's often referred to as our vile body, our humble body. Man's spiritual body is not any better. It's not desirable at all either. The devil's inheritance, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are called the children of disobedience. Imagine inheriting a bunch of disobedient children. That'd be great. Gentiles, aliens, strangers, no hope without God. Not a bright picture. And yet, this inheritance is characterized by glory. The glory of his inheritance in the states, the saints, rather. Displayed excellence, that's glory. The glory of God, according to Mr. Gibbs, 
causes him to stand out distinct from all his creation as infinitely superior to it. All that Christ touches becomes fragrant with his glory. The believer has been touched by Christ. Remind you of a song? I think the song that put Bill Gaither on the map was that song called, He Touched Me, Shackled by a Heavy Burden. He Touched Me. I think uh, that's one of the songs that people started recognizing and made him well known. First, he delivered us from the stench of sin when he found us. Isaiah says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness as filthy rags. Then he elevated us to a glorious position. God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Shared glory with the Son and the glory which he gave me, the Lord said, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. And here again, Mr. Gibbs makes this remark. The saints are his by every right and title possible in the universe. This is what is implied by the words, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. So this morning we're going to explore these particular criteria by which we are his by right. First of all, we're his by creation. Secondly, we're his by purchase. Then we're his by discovery. He discovered us. And then we're his by conquest. He's also, we're his by inheritance. And then lastly, we're his by gift. So let's look at each of these items. By creation, a twofold work. First, there's the natural creation. God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And to the Colossians, Paul says, For all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. But then there's that supernatural recreation because of sin. Separating man from God, the Creator becomes the Redeemer to buy back, to regenerate and restore man to himself. Peter says, you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And to the Corinthians, he says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we're his by the original creation. And then we're his by the recreation when man sinned. Now by purchase. Remember what the apostle wrote to the elders. He says, she shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Let's think about how things become uh, ours by purchase. Anybody hear about the Louisiana Purchase? When you were in school, did you hear about that in your history books? Louisiana Purchase. 530,000 acres of territory in North America. We purchased it from France in 1803 for U.S. 
Well, today it'd be $15 million. $15 million, the whole state of Louisiana. In modern times, the cost was equivalent to $133 million. 30 cents per acre. How'd you like to buy some land for 30 cents per acre? Imagine all the resources they have in that beautiful state of Louisiana. And it was claimed by purchase. We bought it. It belongs to the United States now. What about Alaska? Oh, there's a real neat story. Remember that story about Alaska we got from the Russian Empire? 586,412 square miles of new territory for the cost of $7.2 million in 1867. The Secretary of State, <laughs> he's laughing, he knows what I'm going to say. His name was Seward. And what did they call it? Seward's Folly. Seward's Icebox. <laughs> Seward's Folly. Seward's Icebox. And yet, we bought it. And it's now one of the states. It's ours by purchase. Well, how did Christ purchase us? He came to planet Earth. He carried within his own body the wealth required to purchase every single person on planet Earth. Can you imagine that? In his body, he carried the wealth that he needed to actually go and buy back every single person. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to what? Redeem, to buy, to purchase those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. God's medium of exchange is blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And without the shedding of blood, we're told there is no remission. It was very costly, the sacrifice of God's own dear son. For you're bought with a price, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You are his. He has a vested interest in you because he actually bought you. With his own blood, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But then there's discovery. He discovered us. A large portion of the British Empire and the continent of Australia, New Zealand, parts of Africa were acquired by discovery. Those early explorers like James Cook, Francis Drake, Walter Raleigh. In 1492, Columbus did what? He sailed the blue, didn't he? In 1492, he sailed the blue, and he claimed certain parts for Spain. They go to the shores, and they put the old flag up, and they say, this belongs to our country because we discovered. Now, the American Indians are going to take issue with that because they knew about it way long ago, and they're going to say, we stole it. You stole it from us. But on the other side of the coin, no, we discovered it. And we discovered it is ours. Edwin Perry discovered the North Pole in 1909. It's ours. Another historical figure came from a very long distance to discover such creatures. And they were lost because of Adam's sin. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by the one man's obedience 
many will be made righteous. If our gospel will be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And here's a question that we often ask. Did you find the Lord or did the Lord find you? Something to think about, isn't it? You often will say, well, I found the Lord. Oh, really? I looked for a friend, not knowing that he had all of the time, what? Been looking for me. If you're lost, you can't find yourself, can you? Not very well. So the Lord needed to find us. What did he say? From his perspective, lost sinners who cannot find themselves is why he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. From man's perspective, he found God because he never realized that God was seeking him until God claimed him through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God. The sinner only seeks when he is convicted of his sin and sees a need of a Savior. Remember when they was calling the disciples, one of them said, hey, we found the Messiah. We found the one whom the prophets wrote about. Seeking people in the New Testament. I always enjoyed reading about those who were seeking. Nicodemus was a man who was seeking. Many people in the New Testament were seeking the Messiah. So, discovery. And by now, how about conquest? Did he get us by conquest? International law, to the victor belongs the spoils. Mr. Putin's trying to do that this, this very day, isn't he? He's trying to claim territory by conquest. And if he's successful, he's going to say, that's mine. That's part of the Russian Empire. Down through history, territories were fought over and claimed by the respective victors. The USA claimed, laid claim to the Philippine Islands as a result of the Spanish-American War in 1898. In North America, the Seven Years' War had seen Great Britain conquer all of the French colony of Canada. The war officially ended with the signing of the Treaty of Paris on February 10, 1763. When Christ was born, much of the then-known world was under Roman rule. You know how they got it? That's right, conquest, including the nation of Israel. Because of sin, man is viewed in Scripture as an enemy of God. He needs to be ruled. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Lost sinners were aligned with their father, the devil, who is the liar and the father of it. And a huge battle had to take place in order for that conquest. The issues, sin, death, and life. The warriors, Christ who became flesh and the devil who had the power of death. Christ went into death, the devil's territory, and he arose a victor. And he conquered us. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is found in Romans 2, 14 and 15. I often wish I had given a lot more thought to this verse when I was growing up, but it's become so meaningful. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. Remember this morning, talk of body being prepared. He himself likewise shared in the same. That through death, 
Here's the conquest. Here's the battle. He might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. To the victor belong the spoils. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So he conquered us. And then we're his by inheritance. <clears throat> Christ has been appointed heir of all things. The writer of Hebrews says, In these days, last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed. God the Father has appointed his Son, heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand, we read in the Gospel of John. And here's really an interesting thing about this inheritance. Christ became the testator and then the executor of his own will. You ever hear of anybody being able to do that? Being the testator. You make out a will and then you live to execute it. It never happens that way. You have an executor, one of who executes the will. He died to make it operative. He rose again to be the executor of his own will so that he made certain he shares his inheritance with his saints. What a blessing that is. And if children, heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And then lastly, we are his by gift. Christ received the saints as a gift. Did you know that? You were received as a gift. The giver, God the Father. Notice what the Lord said when he was on planet earth. Here's what he said. All that the Father gives me. Oh, think about that. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. The gift, redeemed man. Here's what the Lord said when he prayed to his Father. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. The recipient, of course, is the very Son of God. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, he says, that they may be one just as we are one. And this is a gift that has no refunds, has no returns. It's a perpetual gift. Once given as a gift from God the Father through conviction of the Holy Spirit, it is perpetual. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. We hear about revocable trust and irrevocable trust. Irrevocable trust is one that someone can break under certain conditions. An irrevocable trust is something that no one can break. An irrevocable trust, a gift. So, you see, God the Son has legal right to an inheritance in his saints by every criteria given by creation, recreation, regeneration, by purchase, redeemed by the blood of Christ, by discovery, by the seeking Savior, by conquest over sin and death, by inheritance as an heir of all things, by gift. From God the Father to the Son. So here's what he says to those who know him. He says, 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. I created them. I purchased them. I discovered them. I fought for them. I inherited them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Christ's inheritance in his saints. He has a vested interest in each one of us. Therefore, we are to glorify God. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we're thankful for the fact that not only do we have an inheritance to which we look forward, He, the Son, has an inheritance in us. And we think about how He found us and sought us. We were that broken down house. And he rebuilt us, he redeemed us, he restored us, he regenerated us. And he has a vested interest in us and he seeks to receive glory from his saints. We just pray, Father, these thoughts that have been shared might be a real blessing this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.